What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, we're going to talk about Yusuf Nurkic, an update or non-update on his health, my thought on how the Blazers have handled that situation. And we'll close out the show with a fun trip down memory lane of unwritten rules the Blazers may or may not have violated. But let's start with Yusuf Nurkic. The latest news on Yusuf Nurkic is that there isn't really any news. He told the Athletics' Jason Quick, It's hard to give hope because there is no dates for my return, so it's hard to talk about anything. I have no dates, so all the rumors, they don't make sense. People are going to say, he's coming back today, tomorrow, next week, a week later, but I don't have dates. Nurkic continued, all I know is I'm trying to figure out how I can get more practices because we don't have many. That's the only thing I can tell you. That's the only reason I can come back if I find somehow to practice. We'll talk about the practice here in the future with this team, but the important thing is, one, Jason Quick went and chased down Yusuf Nurkic. I've um, watched Jason try to do this a handful of times, not even a handful, probably 15 times throughout the season, waiting in the back hallway, hoping to intercept Yusuf Nurkic as he makes his way out of the building. Finally worked when the Blazers were in Indiana to start their road trip. But Nurk didn't really say anything because there's nothing to say. He suffered a setback in the return from his injury after... Uh, what I believe is a couple practices. There's been some report that it was in his first practice, but that's really not that important. Uh, in any case, he suffered a calf injury at the end of January and basically hasn't done anything yet, or at least the team is being incredibly coy, if not downright secretive about what Yusuf Nurkic is and is not doing. But Nurk says that the biggest thing is that he needs to practice. He just needs to play more. So we'll get to that in the second segment. Put a pin in that. We'll talk all about practice, man, practice. In the second segment, what I want to talk about now is something that irked me a little bit. I tweeted about this. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me behaving maybe immaturely on the Internet. But hey, it happens. Uh, I think it's curious how the Blazers have handled Yusuf Nurkic's availability um, to speak with the media. And I think that it has done a disservice both to him as a player and the public perception of the team. This might be the journalist in me whining about availability. So if that is what this sounds like to you, I apologize. But what I want to share with this with you is one, to kind of clarify some things I've complained about publicly. And, and two, just to sort of give you an insight into how this all works and how the Blazers have approached injuries with other players. It's not like Yusuf Nurkic is the only injured player on the team. So let's get the first part out of the way now. Yusuf Nurkic has every right not to speak to the media. Kind of. So the way the NBA CBA works is that if a player is out for a long-term injury, he doesn't have to talk to the media. So Yusuf Nurkic all season long had no responsibilities to speak to anyone beyond media day. And even media day, from my understanding, is optional. It's preferred that players do, but it's not uh, mandatory by any means. But if he's out with a long-term injury, he does not have to talk to media types, doesn't have to do, doesn't have to do uh, any type of interviews. The other players are, have to be available on game days, either prior to the game or at team shootarounds. Yusuf Nurkic is not subject to those rules while he's hurt. No player on a long-term injury is. However, when he returned to practice in late January, the CBA states that he must do an interview. The Blazers didn't, they were very secretive about him returning to practice and never uh, made him do an interview. And then he got hurt, which I think would put him back on the I don't have to talk to the media or depending on your 
interpretation of the CBA maybe would mean that he would have to talk to the media within 48 hours. The Blazers have pretty much ignored that rule all year, not making Rodney Hood or Zach Collins available after suffering serious injuries uh, during that 40-hour window. I don't really care about that. Who cares? Like, that's something the team should do, but it's not that important to me. But in any case, Yusuf Nurkic has every right not to talk to the media. He's, he's, like I said, he doesn't have, he doesn't have to. And, um, a lot of times there's not much to share and it's just, uh, it would be some inappropriate for him to be, you know, holding court with reporters and things like that. So he doesn't, he doesn't have to speak to them. However, in that quick story, which is on the athletic, uh, probably a website you should get a subscription to, but in that quick story, Yusuf is not giving him much. You know, I, I think Jason's doing his best to get information from Yusuf. Just doesn't have a lot. Of, his quotes suggest that he just doesn't have a lot of hard info to share, and he's um, somewhat reluctant to explain kind of what he's doing behind the scenes. And again, I, I think frankly that's totally fine. That is a, a very believable, reasonable approach from a basketball player. But at some point in the interview, a Blazers PR staffer came and cut that interview off. And I think that's really what irks me. That's what I was mad about on the internet. It's what I'm, it still bothers me now. I think it's just a bad look for a team to say, okay, that's enough. And it's not because PR people shouldn't cut off interviews. There's, I mean, obviously there are, that's why there's PR staffers there is to kind of protect players to some extent. But my complaint is that the Blazers don't do this with other players. Pre-game, Zach Collins is in the locker room almost every game. He'll talk to people about his recovery. He'll give an idea of his timeline. And what Zach shares is immaterial to what Yusuf Nurkic shares, but no one ever cuts off his interview. Same with Rodney Hood, who's you know obviously out with a long-term injury, but is happy to talk to reporters. I believe Rodney Hood did four different one-on-ones with the team, with me, with Jason Quick, and with the Oregonian, uh, all all after his injury. I mean, he's he's willing to do those interviews. Again, that's his choice. Yusuf Nurkic has a choice not to do that. But once the once the interview has commenced, I think it is a bad look for the Blazers to cut off the interview because it suggests that they are hiding something or worried about what Yusuf Nurkic might share. I think fans in general, I'm talking about y'all, have a right to know where Yusuf Nurkic is at physically and mentally. And if he doesn't want to do an interview, that's fine. But if he doesn't interview, I think the team should honor that and allow him to share what he wants to share without stopping the interview. Now, I don't know all the details of this. I haven't talked to Jason face-to-face. He's still on the road. I'm still here in Portland. So I can't give you a real insight to what happened. He probably can and probably will at some point. He's an excellent reporter and does a good job of painting the whole picture. But I know that from what I understand about the interaction, from what I understand, from what he wrote, that this is a bad look. Because people are curious. Yusuf Nurkic is the biggest story on this team. Will he come back is the perhaps the biggest story left in this season. Will Yusuf Nurkic play a game this year? Or will this be an entirely lost season? Will his debut from a pretty gruesome broken leg happen 19 months after the initial injury. That would be a long wait. But as I said at the top of this segment, the hope for Yusuf Nurkic to return to the floor is that he practices. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. When is Yusuf Nurkic going to get back on the court and how does he have a path to get there? All right, so we talked Yusuf Nurkic and how I think the Blazers maybe mishandled his first real interview since he got hurt. 
it's just a weird look for the team. I think they've handled this poorly on a variety of levels. But that's less important than the basketball stuff. So let's hit the basketball stuff. And yeah, let's talk about practice. First, an example of a star player returning to practice. On February 29th, that's Saturday, the Golden State Warriors released the following official statement. They said, Stephen Curry continues to make good progress in his recovery from a broken left hand and remains on schedule for a return to play at some point in March. He is now participating in full scrimmages and is scheduled to practice with the Santa Cruz Warriors on Monday. What does that have to do with Yusuf Nurkic, you ask? Oh, several things. One, it is an example of a team being upfront and clear about a return of a star player from a long-term injury. Blazers aren't going to do that. I won't hold my breath. But the other big thing is the Blazers just don't practice very often because nobody in the NBA practices very often. Case in point with Steph Curry. So to get Curry into practices, the Golden State Warriors are utilizing their G League team. I don't think it's ever been more clear to me that the Blazers' lack of a G League affiliate has been a detriment. Before this exact moment, I never considered that having a G League team could be valuable, specifically valuable to a team that values in-house development of their young players. But this is a great example. It's hard to get practice time for NBA guys. For the Blazers specifically, their starters play a ton of minutes and two of them are 35 years old. It would be irresponsible in the middle of March to ask those dudes to go through a real practice and then play 40 minutes three times a week or 38 minutes three times a week. Having an actual practice with this, with those guys is a no-go. In general, I think there are some landing spots and Jason Quick pointed this out in his article and I think it's a good point, is that the... The Blazers generally only practice when they have two consecutive days off, and they do have that coming up in the future. The Blazers have consecutive days off on March 8th and 9th. They've also got another set of days off on March 13th and 14th, and finally at the end of the month on March 20th and 21st. So realistically, when you look at it, the Blazers have probably three target days to practice. They're not going to practice on all six of those days. It seems unlikely they'd practice on back-to-back days. But it seems like there'll be three practice days before the end of March to get Yusuf Nurkic in and get him on the court and playing. That would be valuable. After March 21st, the Blazers don't have a ton of games left. In fact, that would just be 10 left on the schedule for Yusuf Nurkic to play. I don't think the number of games really matter. I think there's probably a mental hurdle for Yusuf just to get out there and play. So if they can get him out there for, before, you know, the final two games of the regular season, just to get him, you know, 15 minutes, two, two six-minute shifts um, to let him play NBA basketball, I think could be valuable. But why I led with the Steph Curry thing is because I'm not critiquing the Blazers' practice schedule. But I do think for the first time ever, a G League team would be super valuable. If the Blazers had a G League team, say, in Salem, 45 minutes south, or Vancouver, 20 minutes north, or Beaverton to the west. Sorry if I didn't name your suburb of choice, but... That would be a wonderful place to get Yusuf Nurkic real minutes with Blazers in-house coaching where they could have the medical staff there, where they could monitor him closely. Uh, It doesn't make sense to send him out to an affiliate. So I think there are real complications with 
bringing him back. Like I listed, there aren't a ton of practice days. There isn't an in-house G League team that the Blazers could use to get real live practices in. And that makes me think that Nurk's return is, for the first time this season, not fully in doubt, but delayed for reasons that we understand, and also several we likely don't understand due to the lack of transparency from the team. But I always thought he was going to come back this year until this week, where I'm starting to doubt if that will happen. Now, I think the team wants him to come back and he wants him to come back, but there are just clear hurdles. His health, the calendar, the setup of the organization, and frankly, the combination of all those things makes use of Nurkic for the first time all season long. I'm starting to wonder if he will actually return and play games. That's a bummer. Like I said, he's the most interesting thing left in this season. Things have gone south in a hurry for the Blazers. They just have too many injuries and the roster is not good enough to compete. They don't look like a playoff team right now. In fact, on Saturday, they suffered what might have been their worst loss of the season, losing at the Atlanta Hawks in a game that they were mostly clowned in. In fact, the clowning is what I want to talk about in the third segment. Near the end of that game, Trevor Ariza and Atlanta Hawks point guard got into a little bit of beef because Ariza believes that Trey Young may have violated an unwritten rule of old-school basketball. So in the third segment, I want to close out the show taking you down a trip down unwritten rule memory lane with Ariza's anger at Trey Young guiding us through three wonderful moments in unwritten rule history featuring your favorite trailblazers. That's what we'll do to close out the show. All right, still locked on Blazers, still pass first point guard. I'm still Mike Richmond. We talked Yusuf Nurkic, how the Blazers have handled his absence, the challenges in the face of him returning to the court, just the practical challenges mostly. But I want to shift gears here in this third segment and talk about beef. Let me set the stage by telling you what happened on Saturday night if you were not watching. In the third quarter, with the Blazers trailing by double digits, Atlanta point guard Trey Young, the second-year player from Oklahoma, was coming down the right wing, and he threw the ball in between Trevor Reese's legs in an effort to go to basically nutmeg him and get past him really quickly. And as soon as Young threw the ball through his legs, Trevor Reza gave him a forearm shiver, like a good good line, offensive lineman-style check to uh, Trey Young's chest. Then after the game... Uh, Trevor grabbed Trey Young by his jersey, kind of pulled him in. The two exchanged words wasn't that the the after the game thing wasn't violent or, or angry or anything. It was more just Ariza saying, "Listen, kid, don't do that." In fact, more reporting from Jason Quick, who's been killing it on an otherwise boring road trip. Trevor Ariza told Quick that this is this was the exchange. I told him, don't do that shit again, not to me at least. I mean, I never made all-defensive team or none of that shit, and he's an all-star, so he can be creative by ways to get around me. But all the, like, funnies? I'm not with the funnies. I don't like the funnies. So Trevor Ariza was, he was mad at the funnies because he felt disrespected. I sent the clip of Trevor Ariza shoving Trey Young after the nutmeg to a friend of mine 
who doesn't listen to the, the show, so he's not getting a shout out. And he said, ah, yes, he committed the sin of disrespect. And I think that's what the all these unwritten rules get down to, is that players feel disrespected. I don't think, I, I think Trey Young was trying to embarrass uh, Trevor Rees a little bit. He's nutmegged a few guys throughout the season. It's what he does. Um, it's kind of Trey's personality, but he kind of underplayed it. Ariza said it wasn't a big deal, um, but he was clearly miffed at the time. And I think it was a good um, illustration of a vet. Ariza's been in the league 15 years and a second year guy kind of being at odds at what is okay and what is not okay. What are the unspoken things you don't do on the court? Which got me thinking of all the times that young Blazers have blown it. So instead of rehashing and assigning blame in the Trevor Ariza, Trey Young case... Uh, Ariza's quotes were so hilarious that I think um, it was worth it. <laughs> it was it, regardless of what happened. Uh, not with the funnies is a great quote. Uh, respect to Jason Quick for getting that one. But what I want to do is take you in the way back machine to other times your favorite Blazers have violated rules that veteran NBA players have taken issue with. And let us start with November 2012 when Damian Lillard playing his 10th NBA game threw down a dunk with 1.9 seconds left of the game, and Joakim Noah and Taj Gibson chased him down at midcourt and got in his face, and LaMarcus Aldridge had to intervene, and Joakim Noah said, you don't act that way, and Taj Gibson just said, oh, I'll explain it to him, that he got it wrong. And even LaMarcus Aldridge, who stepped in to kind of stop the beef, said, you don't do that, and I think he knows better now. I don't think he'll be doing it going forward. That's not good basketball etiquette. Ah, yes, Damian Lillard, violator of basketball etiquette in game number 10 of his NBA season. He, uh, much like Trey Young, maybe didn't understand the unwritten rules just yet. But of course, vets uh, and perhaps like tough guy vets like Joe Kim Noah, uh, Taj Gibson and Trevor Reza take exception to that kind of thing. But it wasn't the last time that the Blazers would run afoul of unwritten rules with a young player on the court. In November 2013, in the waning seconds of a Blazers win over the San Antonio Spurs, Nicholas Batum was looking at a triple-double. He had 8, 11, and 12 coming down the court, and he couldn't resist. So as the clock expired, he threw up a three at the buzzer. He hit it to give himself that, that beautiful statistical symmetry that we all crave. 11, 11, and 12. In the first week of the NBA season, the Blazers kept doing this in like the early games of the NBA season. Their beef was all early in the season. Uh, Nicholas Batum, who a few months earlier had punched Spanish national team player Juan Carlos Navarro in the groin during the middle of a basketball game, said that taking a three-pointer was the worst mistake he'd made in his basketball career. He felt incredibly bad about it, embarrassed by it, said he didn't mean any disrespect but it was yet again a young Trailblazers player running afoul of the unwritten rules. You're supposed to dribble out the clock at the end of these games. You're not supposed to dunk. You're not supposed to shoot a three-pointer to get a precious triple-double. You're just supposed to be cool. Just be cool. Just let the clock expire. In fact, if you get the ball back, the unwritten rule in the NBA, up 10 with like 28 seconds left, is that you take a shot clock violation. Another weird rule, but it is this kind of unspoken thing in the league. But... The Blazers weren't always the one committing this sin of embarrassment by shooting with the clock 
winding down in a game that had already been decided. You will remember in January 2018 against the Houston Rockets. The clock ticking under 20 seconds, and the Blazers down 7, deciding, hey, we lost. Chris Paul took a pass and went to the rim and made a layup with with about 12.8 seconds left on the clock. Lillard took exception to it. He tried to slap the ball out of Chris Paul's hands on the final possession of the game, uh, angry and kind of complaining to Chris Paul. And Chris Paul told Damian Lillard in the most beautiful Chris Paul fashion, y'all wasn't guarding, which is exactly the thing that Chris Paul would say if he made a layup on you to give him 37 points and make a seven-point win, a nine-point win. Y'all wasn't guarding. This is a dude who takes the All-Star game very seriously, Chris Paul, a hero for annoying competitors. A funny wrinkle, though. You know who passed the ball and got the assist on Chris Paul's layup with under 13 seconds left in a game that had already been decided? That's right, it was Trevor Ariza! Isn't it wonderful when things come full circle? I think Trevor Ariza has a right to be mad at Trey Young. It is certainly a move where he was trying to clown him on the court. I also think Trey Young, if he can get away with throwing the ball between someone's legs in the course of the highest level of basketball in the world, go for it, Trey. I can't fault either of them. Trey Young definitely was trying to crown, clown Ariza, Ariza giving up you know, a free throw and extra possession and a shove to prove his point. Uh, if that's worth it, sure. I think it is both disrespectful and okay. But the unwritten rules are... are Someone should write them down. They should write them down so so Trey Young can know. Don't don't do it. Or maybe he just needs a veteran in his ear like LaMarcus Aldridge when he explained in November 2012 to Dame, you don't do that. Or maybe when LaMarcus had to pull aside his teammate the very next season, Nick Batum and said, don't do that. Or maybe when nobody was going to tell Chris Paul not to do that because nobody's going to tell Chris Paul not to do anything. The thing is, these unwritten rules come up a bunch. The Blazers have been in a handful of them just in the time that Damian Lillard has been in the game. Teams, when they are losing, look for reasons to get mad. The Blazers got punked on Saturday night, and Trevor Ariza took it as an opportunity to get mad. Not talking about games on this episode because the Blazer games have been depressing. However, they play again soon on Monday night and also Wednesday of next week. And then the weekend, a Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. So we'll have plenty of games to talk to. We can talk about the playoffs and Dame's injury. Dame is not going to play on Monday night, so the Orlando Magic game could be another messy one, which is why I just decided on this episode to stay away from the happenings on the basketball court. We will get back to them soon, as well as go through a Monday mailbag. This week's shaping up to be a very important one for the Trailblazers, so we will cover it all. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.